So we are continuing our, our series along with the, the brothers and sisters in the sanctuary services on making life work. We're doing this together. Um, Jason's uh, preaching the same topic over there. I'm sure the message is a little different. But we're, we're approaching it together. And so in this third week of the series, we're focusing on, uh, and the whole, fo- the whole series is on Proverbs, we're focusing on Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, with the focus being doing good. Doing good. But the reality is we have to choose to do good. It just doesn't happen, right? We have to make a conscious decision, a choice to do good. Proverbs eleven seventeen states, Your soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. And so this morning we choose to do good, or my prayer is that we will choose to do good. Proverbs teaches that generally speaking, when we do good, we tend to feel good. It has that impact, that effect on our lives. When we do good, we tend to feel good about it. Not so that we feel smug or proud or self-righteous, but hopefully because we experience the humbling inner awareness that we have just had the privilege of being a channel of God's love. Hopefully that's what happens when we do good. Why do we feel good when we do good? And the main reason is that we are made in the image of God who by nature is a good God. That's why we feel good. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's pretty clear. We were created to do good. We were created to do good. And so with that in mind, goodness is to become a way of life for those who want to live into that image of God that's in us. Goodness is to become a way of life. And when it does, our good deeds not only uplift others, but as Proverbs eleven seventeen states, it also nourishes our own souls. Right? So that's what we're going to talk about. Choosing to do good. Now, choosing to do good By setting healthy expectations and boundaries is important. I had a friend in Dallas, his name was George. And he was the pastor of a small inner city church. Uh, And every year this larger suburban church would, would, would contact him 
and say, hey, George, we've got turkeys that we want to give you for Thanksgiving for people in your community. And initially, George was really receptive. He said, sure, come on down. And so the the whole church would get together on their property, and this big suburban church would drive in 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 multiple vans with lots of people with hundreds of turkeys to give out to the community. And they were so excited about what was happening and the turkeys that were being shared uh, on that particular day. And it happened for a couple of years. Hundreds of them. But what the people of the small inner city church started to realize was that when the the suburban, the large church would come, they really didn't interact with the members, with the neighborhoods. They just came and, and delivered their turkeys and gave them to them and took pictures and they were all there and here's your turkey and here's your picture. And, and it started to weigh On the people from that small inner city church, they're like, you know, this doesn't feel right. Something is going on here. And so the following year, after maybe about five years of this, the pastor calls George and says, hey, George, we're ready to take turkeys this year. When when would be a good day to come by? And George says, "Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we don't want the turkeys this year. Wait, what do you mean you don't want the turkeys? We've got tons of them. We've got hundreds of turkeys here, George. We've been doing this for years. What, what, what's the problem? He says, yeah, no, no thanks, but no thanks. And, and, and pastor of the big suburban church couldn't understand why Georgia didn't want to receive their turkeys. And so he calls back the next day. He says, hey, George, have you reconsidered? I mean, we've got close to 500 turkeys here. He says, yeah, we, we really have. Well, can I ask, what's the problem? He says, the problem is you come down every year to give turkeys. And you take your pictures and you feel good about yourselves and you pat yourself on the back. And not once has anyone tried to build relationship with people in this community. Not once did you try to learn somebody's name. But you did give us turkey. And then you got in your vans and you drove off. So, yeah, no thanks. Keep the turkey. I think the question that has to be asked when we think about doing good is what is our motivation for doing good? Why are we extending this goodness? Is it primarily for us? So that we can pat ourselves on the back, so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can say, okay, I did my part. Or is it primarily about the other? Is it about the person or the, the people we're trying to help? Or is it all about me? 
I have to think back at my time at Asbury down the street. When we first started with the merger with Alamo Heights back in 2012, one of the things that I was focused on was making sure that the people in the community knew who we were. Right? And so I figured one of the easiest ways to do that is to give out stuff. Oh, it's, a, it's an inner city neighborhood. There's, there's a lot of need. And, and so if we just start giving out stuff, they're going to know who we are. And so we did. We started a food pantry. We started a clothing closet. We started uh, helping with utility bills. We started doing all these things that you would expect a church to do. And guess what? There were lines out the door. People come into the church because they knew we were going to give them food. They knew we were going to give them clothing. They knew we would help them with the rent, with the utility bills. And we just kind of process these people in through one door and out the other. Just taking their cases and taking their needs and, and, and handing out. Bam, 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 bam. And there for a while I felt really good about what we were doing. Oh, we're making a difference in this community. Oh, people know that we care. People know that we're helping. People know that we're here. That was the whole idea. So they would know that we're here. <coughs> and then I started to see a pattern. A pattern started to develop that the same people that were coming on one month were coming the next month. And the next month. And the next one. So that was the only time we saw them, right? When we were when we were doling out. What I began to realize was we're giving things away, but we're not really making a difference. Because the people that were hungry today were going to be hungry tomorrow and the next day and the next day. The people that didn't have enough money for the rent this month were going to be the same people that didn't have enough money for the rent next month. And that really started to weigh on me. How do we make a difference? How do we make an impact that's long-lasting? And I began to realize that we not only needed to address the symptoms of the problem, but also address the root causes of the problem. Address the iniquities, right? The inequality, the, the, the systemic barriers. Start looking at those things that would really make a difference. Recognize the need for setting healthy expectations and boundaries. Robert Lipton wrote a book titled Toxic Charity. 
how churches and charities hurt those they help. And at, at its core, toxic charity is trying to address chronic ongoing issues through one-way giving. It often looks like this. People with resources give to those who lack resources. And this kind of giving approaches inequity as though the core issue is that people don't have the same amount of stuff. Of course, we know that inequity is much more complex than an imbalance of resources. It's a symptom of something larger. Toxic charity often ignores that complexity. As a result, it can end up making the recipients of charity objects of pity. That was the Asbury experience I was, I was coming into realization. Now here's the difference. Here's where we can make a difference. Remember last week we talked about that favorite quote of mine from Eldridge Cleaver. If you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. Here's part of the solution to some of life's inequities. It's not simply doling out. It's not simply just giving somebody in need something to eat. Now, now, now hear me. We, we want to continue to do that. We want to make sure that we're helping families who are in crisis. We want to get them past the crisis. But then it becomes much more than that. It becomes about building relationships and proximity. About getting to know people at, at their core. Getting to know what their situation is. Getting to know what they really need. I used to work for the Department of Human Services in my journey of trying to run away from God's call, right? I said, okay, I want to help people. I want to make a difference. I want to be part of life's solutions and not part of problem. And so early on in my career, I decided I'm going to go work for the state and I'm going to serve people that are in need. Noble cause. What I learned was sometimes, not all the time, and not all people, please don't generalize, but sometimes the systems and the policies in place don't actually help but perpetuate poverty. Right? You, 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 you run into generational poverty. There were cases where I had teenage daughter, mom, and grandma all on Medicaid and welfare at the same time because this became a way of life. So what would make a difference? What good could we do that would change that? Generational poverty, generational curse, if you will. It begins with building relationship. It begins with proximity, getting close enough to know and understand what's going on. The reality is we cannot solve anything from a distance. We must draw near. Enter into relationship and open ourselves up to the possibility. Now hear me. To the possibility. Are you listening? To the possibility of mutual transformation. Of mutually being transformed. 
by doing good. Transactional giving between strangers will never end poverty. You cannot serve someone out of poverty. But when you begin to build intimate and personal relationships, when you begin to get close and get to know someone's story, things can change. And we could go into the what we could do, but that's for another time. I, I, I teach a class on missional mindset and missional ministries. Take that class the next time it's offered. And see how the church can impact the society around it with more than just transactional giving. Wesley has three simple rules for living that guide us, or that should guide us. The first rule is do no harm. Do no harm. The second rule is do good. Do good. And make sure that your good doesn't do harm. And then Wesley's third rule for living is stay in love with God. It's really that simple. Stay in love with God. Because as you stay in love with God, you will stay in love with God's creation. You will stay in love with God's people. You will stay in love. There is no fear in love. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God's people that will lead you to do good and do love for God's people. Again, we are made in the image of God who is lavish in doing goodness. A God who delights in redeeming. A God who delights in restoring. A God who delights in refreshing. A God who delights in rebuilding. A God who delights in revitalizing. Am I the only one excited here tonight? Well, it's not nighttime, I guess. We need to remind ourselves that every day and then remind ourselves that God has called us to do the same thing. We need to remind ourselves of this fact every day and then remind ourselves that God has called us to do the same thing, to be agents of redemption, of restoration, of refreshing, of rebuilding, and revitalizing. God has called us to do the same. And also keep in mind while we are called by God to respond to the tangible needs of others with practical acts of care and compassion, there is an even greater good we can offer to someone. An introduction to the God of the universe. In other words, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. If necessary, by our words. Don't be afraid to articulate your faith. Let me conclude with this. I've learned from experience, and probably you have too, that it is easy to lose heart in doing good. But Galatians 6, 9, and 10 encourages, encourages us to not grow weary in doing good. 
For in due season we will reap a harvest, reap a reward, if we don't lose heart. Jesus himself shared these words regarding the promise of reward, the promise of harvest. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In the economy of God, whenever we do good for anybody, maybe it's a lonely widow in a nursing home or a prisoner in the county jail, a hungry child in a third world country, a struggling single mother in a suburban neighborhood, maybe it's a weary shopper in a supermarket checkout line. Maybe it's a lonely student lamenting his parents' divorce. Whenever we do good for anyone like these, it's as if we're doing it for Christ himself. Sometimes we find ourselves asking, why am I here? Why am I still breathing? Why am I still alive? That's really the wrong question. The question is never why are you still here, why are you still breathing, why are you still alive? The question is what are you going to do with the breath you have? My prayer for each one of us is that we choose to do good. Let us pray. Oh God, God of love, God of kindness, God of goodness, you are so good to us. Help us to be good to. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen.